Hello, and a very good day to you. My name is Jim Harris, and this is Heritage Bible Radio. Heritage Bible Radio is an extension of Heritage Bible Church in Boise, where it's my joy to serve as the teaching pastor. Every day, we devote our radio time to studying a portion of the Word of God so you can know Him better through Jesus Christ and serve Him better through your local church. This week on Heritage Bible Radio, we're in the 10th chapter of Mark, verses 35 through 45. Jesus and his disciples were on their way up to Jerusalem, and Jesus had just told them that he would be killed there by the religious leaders who hated him and had been seeking an opportunity to kill him for many months now. Have you ever picked exactly the wrong moment to do or say something really selfish? Well, you're not alone. Even Jesus' disciples fell to this human weakness right up to the week of Jesus' crucifixion. Had they still not learned all the lessons Jesus had been teaching them now for about three years? Well, the good news is, Jesus doesn't respond with, Really? Are you kidding me? After all these years, are you still this selfish? The even better news is, Jesus doesn't treat you that way when you continue in your selfish ways. But he's gentle and corrects us where we're at with love and gentle instruction. Do you want to be first? Of course you do. It's part of your fallen human nature. But how does God want you to be first? What does it take? The answer is not what the world would expect. Here's today's slice of the sermon entitled, Do You Want to Be First? As soon as you realize that greatness in the kingdom of heaven begins with not seeking greatness, in the kingdom, or not seeking greatness in this world, the next principle comes into play. They said, we are able, and Jesus is going to take them from there on. So stop seeking great position. Secondly, be willing to give your life. Back in the middle of verse 39 in Mark 10 through verse 40. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you shall drink. You're both going to die for following me. The cup that I drink, you shall also drink, and you shall be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized. But to sit on my right or on my left, this is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. Now, that's an interesting thing. In earthly situations, the king chooses who's on his right and left, and Jesus is saying, I don't even do that. I'm entrusting all of that to my Father. So he let James and John know that they would indeed give their lives for him. I don't know that they grasped it that day. I, I rather doubt it. But the inference that he's making is that no one will be great in the kingdom who is unwilling to drink the cup of suffering and to be immersed in suffering in this life. In this world, you will have trouble says Jesus, oh, about a week from where we're talking about, just before He goes to the cross. People who try to reinvent Christianity into something that uh, leads to maintaining comfort and having earthly blessings are totally out of tune with Jesus Christ. If you think that putting your faith in Jesus Christ was the path to comfort and ease in this world, you probably have not heard and understood and believed the real gospel. You'll never find that in the Scriptures. 
What is 2 Timothy 3.12? All who desire to live godly in Jesus will be persecuted. And yeah, all means all, and will be means will be, and persecuted means persecuted. That's what it means. Christianity without suffering isn't Christianity. If you've believed a gospel of comfort, you've believed a false gospel. If you think being a Christian means having a comfortable life, you don't know what being a Christian really means. Oh, now, don't get me wrong. God can provide comfort like no one else can provide comfort. But it's not a comfort that is ease in this world. So the question that jumps off the page here is, are you willing to drink the cup of suffering? Any lesser faith is phony faith. Jesus is making the point that exaltation to glory in the kingdom of heaven is directly related to suffering for the sake of Christ in this world. Now, verse 41 is what shows us that the other ten disciples were essentially thinking just like James and John, and they overheard. Look at verse 41. Hearing this, the ten began to feel indignant with James and John. They were mad. Their sinful, their sinful desires boiled up. They, they fell right into the same narcissistic cesspool where James and John and Salome were dog paddling at the moment. They were indignant probably because they felt that by these guys asking for positions of prominence, that implied they regarded themselves as superior to the other ten. So the other ten would have taken this as a, a put-down. They were jealous. Remember that parable that we studied a a couple of weeks ago, we took a side trip to Matthew 20, 1 through 16, where the question uh, that that parable leads up to is, is your eye envious because I am generous? They were envious because they thought maybe Jesus would say yes, and they didn't think of it first. That had only come a couple of days earlier, and now they're having a chance to, to live it out. How about you? Does, does the idea of God giving something good to someone else make you envious? Does it make you dislike God if somebody else gets the goodies and you don't? Does it make you reject and despise the person that He blesses? Does it make you bitter? Now, as I say, I think maybe the other ten were indignant because they were probably genuinely afraid that the answer to the question might be, yes, I can see Peter over there thinking, well, yeah, it's got to be me or James or John because we're the big three after all, but I kind of blew it. Well, I kind of blew it a lot. So maybe he's just thinking, I guess I'm out. Um, until you learn to rejoice that someone else receives a blessing, you haven't come to the right attitude for a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Now then again, maybe another reason why the ten were indignant Maybe they were disappointed in themselves. Maybe they were thinking something like, Rats, I wish I had thought of sending my mom to ask for me to be given the position of greatest. Or maybe they were thinking, Wow, what a good deal those guys have. Their mom is the aunt of the king. We don't stand a chance against that kind of insider connection. They were indignant. 
They wouldn't have been indignant if they'd realized that's not even the right question to ask, let alone the right path to go down. So you want to be greatest? You want to be first in the kingdom? Stop seeking great position here on earth. Be willing to give your life. Thirdly, find ways to serve. I I don't think I can imagine how sad this must have made Jesus. He just taught on this a few days earlier. And he taught the principles countless times. He had just poured out his heart to them in the the third prediction of the suffering and death that he was about to endure in about a week. And what what does he get in return? A selfish request from two guys and their mom. But look at his reaction. He's gentle. His heart had to be broken. He speaks truth, but he speaks truth in love. He, He still teaches what needs to be learned. So verse 42, calling them to himself. Best antecedent of them would be Salome, James, John, and the other ten apostles. Maybe even the others that were traveling with them. He called them to himself. Jesus said to them, you know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great men exercise authority over them. You know the world's ways. People claw to get to the top of the heap, whatever the heap of choice might be. And once they reach it, they want to make sure that everybody under them feels the weight of their authority. People love to show other people how important they are. I have a vivid memory in my mind of what I think of when I hear the phrase lord it over them. I once uh, managed a baseball team of teenagers. We uh, uh, were the eighth seeded team in an eight-team state tournament. We were a unanimous pick to be first eliminated. I was one of the managers. I picked us for eighth place. Well, first game came and everything went our way, everything bounced our way, and we had a stunning extra innings victory, and wham, we got to go back the next day and we're in the semifinals. Well, we showed up for that next game. To my dismay, I soon realized that the umpire who was going to be behind the plate that day was the worst umpire I ever knew. It wasn't you, Scott, Um, (laughs) but Scott has been an umpire, he knows. This guy had a, what had him several times, he had a terrible, ever-changing strike zone, ever-changing sizes and locations and shapes. He had some very unusual ideas of what was important. He had a hot temper, and he had an ego so big you felt it arrive about five minutes before he got there. I don't remember his first name or his last name, but his middle name was Lorded Over Them. You've met, you've met this guy in some form or another in your life. Well, I realized what was at stake. I realized that's one of the days that it's really hard to be both a pastor and a man wise in the ways of the world system. So I called our team together and I gave him a little speech. It didn't start with turning your Bibles to, because the only one on the team that I think probably owned a Bible was my son. 
But I gave him this little speech. If you would like this message on Compact Disc, let me know and we'll send it to you. You'll receive the entire message, not just the portion on today's program. You can order by phone at 353-4036 or by writing to us at 7071 West Emerald, Boise, Idaho, 83704 or on the internet at hbc-boise.org. Heritage Bible Radio needs your prayers and your financial support. Once again, you can reach us online at hbc-boise.org or by telephone at 353-4036 or by writing to us at 7071 West Emerald, Boise, Idaho, 83704. And if you need a church home here in the Treasure Valley, I hope you'll visit us any Sunday at 7071 West Emerald. For Heritage Bible Radio, I'm Jim Harris. See you next time. Bye-bye.